DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha, presents Is Jesus Calling You? A Spiritual Guide for Discerning Your Vocational Call with Father Paul Hazing. Father Hazing is a priest of the Archdiocese of Omaha. He has served as a Director of Catholic Campus Ministry, a Director of the Office of Vocations, and has been a trusted spiritual director for the Institute for Priestly Formation. Father Hazing currently serves as the Dean of Seminarians and Director of Human Formation for Kenrick Glennon Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. Is Jesus Calling You? A Spiritual Guide to Discerning Your Vocational Call with Father Paul Hazing. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We are reflecting over these series of shows on Is Jesus Calling You to Be a Catholic Priest? It's a helpful guide that has been produced by the National Conference of Diocesan Vocation Directors and really is a beautiful tool for entering into discernment for one's life, whether you are being called to the priesthood or another vocation in which the Lord presents to each and every one of us. Right. And we're going to continue to see how our Lord Jesus is always calling us to good things. He's never going to offer a bad plan. What we might perceive to be a bad idea or a bad plan or something that incites fear in us is not the way he operates. He's a gentleman when he proposes his will. And he proposes his will not through a spirit of fear. We've just finished a lesson where we see that his peace is where we find Jesus. Jesus is in peace and he offers peace. Peace be with you is what he says to his disciples. And so the the opposing spirit against peace is fear. We most clearly saw that in that episode of the upper room where they're locked in together for fear of the Jews. It's very clearly stated in scripture. Mm-hmm. And so living in that spirit of fear, Jesus enters in and says, peace be with you. And so in this sixth lesson, it's good for us to emphasize that God does not reveal himself through fear. God does not use pressure tactics. God doesn't desire us to be confused. These are not of God. Fear, pressure, confusion, this is where the spirit against Christ reveals himself. The spirit against Christ makes us afraid, not God. The spirit against Christ uses fear, pressure, and confusion to draw us away from following God. And so this spirit against Christ, we might articulate in terms of the voices against Christ. And, and there are four voices that we're paying attention to, we're being attentive to in this whole exercise of discernment. If you want to distill it down to the voice of Christ himself, we've established his voice should incite uh, peace. Mm-hmm. His voice should incite clarity and not confusion. His voice should bring some freedom and not pressure, a sense of freedom. That's the voice of God, the voice of Christ. The other voice out there is the voice of the world, the voice of ideologies, the voice of those uh, elements of the world that are all around us in billboards, advertisements, radio, books, magazines. It's it's the voice of the world that we kind of uh, get by osmosis, and there it is at work in our hearts. Then there's our own voice that's always going on, that monologue that we keep in our hearts, that 
that voice of the self, which has all kinds of psychological and emotional dynamics that uh, would require therapy for some, and for others just requires some quieting. Then there's the voice of the enemy. And the voice of the enemy will always speak against Christ. And we know from Scripture that the world, the flesh, and the devil really is kind of those part of those voices, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, ourselves, the flesh, and the devil. These are the spirit against Christ. They would constitute a spirit against him. And very often we, we incite fear in ourselves because of our own voice. We incite fear in ourselves because the world tells us that would lead us astray and you'd just be a loser if you did this or that. And then the spirit against Christ, of course, from the devil, will always be uh, subtly attractive. His rationalizations are usually very attractive. You know, the devil doesn't work in such a way that some people imagine, oh, that's the devil because it's obviously malicious. He's never obviously malicious. He's very obviously uh, sweet and kind and caring. And, and, and he's trying to pr propose something that would be tasteful or something that would be worth swallowing a lie. And so he's not usually head-on malicious. And so that's a misperception people have. If it's the voice of the evil one, it's going to look malicious right away. And it's not. And so that's why an attentiveness to thoughts, feelings, and desires that revolve around any fear, pressure, or confusion to be the voice against Christ. As we're praying and listening. We can see this happen even in the Virgin Mary, how there's fear in the presence of, of Gabriel. Not because Mary had any sin or Mary was influenced in any way, but she was a human being who sees a majestic angel, an awesome uh, creature of God. And the angel assures her, Gabriel immediately lets her know that fear is not from God. Do not be afraid. And so she obeys perfectly. And John Paul II often said this. In fact, this was his opening statement. Non avete paura. What he said to the whole world when he was elected Pope. In a world that was very afraid of Cold War and communism and all these elements of the world that would incite fear in the hearts of man, he spoke clearly in the voice of Christ as vicar of Christ. Do not be afraid. So our attentiveness to what is causing fear and pressure and confusion is to be a very important next step. And it often is shown in contrast to the peace that is Christ. When we outlined those elements that influence or can enter into our prayer, Father, it can be intimidating for those who are particularly new to the spiritual life to consider that Christ is one while the there are three other elements. It's almost a three-to-one against being able to discern properly. And that in itself can be fearful because how can I tell what is the voice of Christ, especially in those early inklings? How do I know? Right, the power of those voices, the world, the flesh, the devil, the distraction caused by those voices can sometimes make us think that, uh, well, if I pray, then I'll just be paying attention to all these voices and it just be, will, uh, will be a frightful exercise for me. 
uh, it'll be a problem I can't solve. And this is where we go back to the uh, situation of trust that Peter was called into. When we pay attention to those voices, when we become attentive to those voices, it's like paying attention to the storm and the waves and the wind, and Peter begins to sink. And the sinking feeling that comes with those who enter into prayer and say, I don't know, and I've got this problem to solve. It's not a problem to solve. It's an encounter to be nurtured. The encounter with the one who wants your friendship and is pursuing you and thirsts for you. And to realize in this process of discernment, the encounter is what we're trying always to prolong. The encounter with him. So that we might receive from him his voice and be attentive to his voice alone. While these other voices compete and are there and are very competitive for our attention, the sacraments, the spirit of prayer, the gift of prayer that we ask for, we approach with a certain trust that the encounter will be true, that Jesus will be true to our hearts, our heart's desires. And so that fundamental piece on the encounter and desiring what he desires and trusting in him, keeping our eyes fixed on him, will be the key to avoiding this sort of self-defeat or recriminating, uh, sort of talking ourselves out of even trying to discern since these other voices are so confusing and out there. And this emphasis on the encounter will be the way through that forest of other voices. It's imperative then that we go back even to the previous lesson where it taught us the importance of identifying the presence of peace mm-hmm. in our encounters with, with Jesus, whether mm-hmm. uh, it, it occurs at Mass or maybe it's a time in adoration or wherever that presence has been identified, that you go back to that place in your prayer, especially when the fear begins to Mm-hmm. elevate itself mm-hmm. you go back to the person and the person who's speaking to your heart sometimes he'll let the silence make these voices amplified so that we can really learn how these voices lead us astray I'll never forget the occasion of, of again making a confession and not hearing from my spiritual director I was wanting to hear his words of wisdom, his words of peace, his words of consolation, his words of absolution, and hearing very loudly all the reasons I didn't deserve absolution, didn't deserve peace, didn't deserve anything, and hearing very loudly the content and tone of the voice against Christ. Taking away, stealing peace, just rapidly stealing peace, and sometimes the silence we experience in prayer, well, Truly, the silence we experience in prayer will allow us to learn the different voices very clearly. And so coming back a month later and describing to my spiritual director the experience of those voices and that that stealing away of my peace, which was eventually conquered in that moment of confession. I was absolved. I was given a great penance. I was able to go forward with Christ, and he was with me, still offering his peace. My prayer kept coming back to that experience of hearing that self-defeat, that recrimination, that pressure, that stealing of peace, and paying attention to that and saying, ah, there it is, not God. And so that learning that happens in our friendship is a learning that will always be happening because there always will be voices trying to steal the peace from us. 
and we'll have to pay attention to the content and tone of that, that voice, that spirit against Christ. Ah, not God. And turn to the one who is God. This is one of those classic moments that really requires us to go back to that, the three points, the be aware, to mm-hmm. understand, mm-hmm. and then to take action. Mm-hmm. And maybe in this particular action is you just keep moving forward. You keep praying. You have to keep praying. And this is a, a very important rule in Ignatius' exercises, especially when we're experiencing desolation or what seems to be the triumph of these other voices in our life and the experience of not having peace, desolation change nothing in your prayer life. If you're praying and you have been praying and you have a prayer life that's consistent, half an hour a day, you have the rosary, you have the mass, it's integrated into your life, to stay with that, to not lose that, to keep praying is the action against that spirit, against Christ. We'll have that sinking sensation like Peter, but when we keep our eyes on him, on Jesus, our focusing on him is that act of trust, which allows us to continue to receive from him that spirit of peace. And again, God allows this Mm -hmm. so that we can grow and we become stronger because now we can identify that voice that instills fear. Mm -hmm. And it can't conquer us anymore. We don't have to be afraid of it because we know what it is. We see it, we're aware of it, we understand it. Mm -hmm. And since the vocation... Uh, is always received in love, it's going to lead to an action of love. And so you mentioned this awareness, this understanding leads to an action, the action of responding in love from him who is love. Uh, So the example given in this particular lesson where a young man, uh, he's named Patrick in this episode, was experiencing a desire to discern the priesthood, a desire to follow Christ as a priest, because he had two brothers who were priests. And so he enters the seminary, and he had many of the same attributes of his brothers. And brothers will be brothers, and, and so there's a, a similarity there. And he entered the seminary, and while in the seminary, he begins to experience a great deal of peace around marriage, a great deal of desire which led to peace in his heart about marriage. And at first he was distressed, but then he said, well, this is natural. And so he pursued further with his spiritual director and prayer this experience of peace around the desire for marriage. And then he began to experience a great deal of fear and pressure and confusion about possibly leaving the seminary. And he was then bringing this to discernment, bringing this into prayer, bringing this into his spiritual director, and realized that the pressure the fear and the confusion about staying in the seminary just so he would be able to keep his family happy for all these reasons that were coming to mind that were not of God, he was allowed then to rest in the peace of, ah, sacramental marriage is very beautiful. Of course, while in seminary, he's not dating, he's not experimenting, but he's simply experiencing in his heart, in his encounter with Christ, a great draw to the beauty of sacramental marriage and Christ is giving him peace there in a very consistent way over the course of time, over the course of his friendship, over the course of his consistent encounter with and in Christ, he eventually left the seminary joyfully and now has four children and teaches at a Catholic high school. He got that human formation. It was a win-win. Nothing was lost. Right. But the peace was found in that 
attentiveness to where Christ was leading him. And when he experienced that fear and confusion and pressure to stay in seminary just for the sake of pursuing priesthood so he could be like his brothers, or this was not of God. And so his director allowed him to learn that desires came to him in the midst of pressure and fear were not from God, were to be resisted. And he could take that action of following his will into marriage. Freedom. Peace. Clarity. The opposite of the spirit against Christ. Lesson seven begins with a situation that I think whether you're trying to discern your vocation of the priesthood or just about any decision in life that many of us in Christian spirituality encounter, we, we want a sign. We ask mm-hmm. God, if I'm supposed to do this, give me a sign. It is a, a constant refrain. The sign from God that I'll be a priest, the sign from God that I'll be uh, married. What the author has done in this, these lessons is, is put this episode of Patrick and, and, and seamlessly go into this seventh lesson, which says God's will is found in your will when you are in Christ. And so there's no need to be looking for external signs, documents, uh, signed emails from God. It's not something that comes from the outside. It comes from within the heart and its stirrings when we're in Christ, when we're resting in Christ, when we're anchored in his peace, when we're trusting in him, desiring what he desires, consistently encountering him in prayer and sacraments, when we're in Christ, then our will will reveal God's will. So we can see how these lessons are leading steadily from encounter, desire, trust in all things, taking time, receiving peace, and then seeing how our thoughts, feelings, desires really do lead to fulfillment of God's will. There was an example given in this lesson, which is, it's a great example. A a spiritual director, we'll call him Father James, he's been in the seminary for decades, he's asked the million-dollar question, how does a man know if God has chosen him to be a priest? And the spiritual director, Father James, insightfully responded, this is a mystery. So I do not know the full answer to that question. However, I do know this. This is very important. Underline it, highlight it. In the seventh lesson, if God wants a man to be a priest, then at some point God must make that man think about being a priest. In other words, the spiritual director, Father James, is saying that God will reveal his will through the man's thoughts. God's signs are found in the seminarian's thoughts. Thoughts, feelings, and desires one has within the experience of peace and the stillness of the presence of Christ, these are part of God's will. These are God's thoughts, feelings, and desires for us, giving us that light to take the next step. This is how God reveals what he wants, his will of us and for us. It's when we experience in Christ our own thoughts, feelings, and desires leading us into his will. The examples that he uses are really quite compelling, actually. They are uh, common experiences, aren't they? As I've mentioned at the beginning, the the author of this, these lessons is a, is a fellow who grew up on a farm in North Dakota. And what do they have available in North Dakota? The same uh, spiritual um, 
the same spiritual offerings that the church offers to every person everywhere in the world. Regular confession, the sacraments, the Eucharist, and men of prayer, priests around him in his life, and a family, a healthy family. And so it's out of that background, it's out of that, um, out of those tools that we see you don't need to have a whole set of counselors and a whole set of uh, spiritual advisors. The, the vocation can be very simply discovered and very simply received in the most remote places where the church is found. The church will always offer to her faithful what the faithful need to discern. So sometimes people think they're at a disadvantage being far away from you know, the cathedral or they're at a disadvantage being far away from the big city or or they don't know where a seminary is, so they must be at a disadvantage. No, Christ's Spirit is always at work in the hearts of every person, wherever they are. And so the very realistic examples come from that background of a simple life which is offered to everyone. These simple examples from looking at life quite simply. When we look at some of his examples, he'll take one example all the way through. And that is his example of, a, of Michael, the Michael who in the very beginning was encountering in his prayer, in his times at Mass, experiencing uh, tender peace. And his thoughts and feelings uh, about priesthood were very peaceful. And then he reveals to his family. And his mother is, is very is supportive. His father is confused and offers some pressuring advice. Are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you're really called this? Some confusing advice asking confusing and difficult questions. And so this Michael, uh, he brings up again in this particular uh, lesson to emphasize how Michael's thoughts, feelings, and desires lead him to do the will of God because he's entering into Christ through those sacraments, through prayer. And he can trust that. He can trust that. So as he grows in these thoughts, feelings, and desires toward the priesthood, the thought of priesthood coming to his mind is, is delightful. And then he makes the contrast. On days when Michael's busy and not focused and not praying and not going to Mass, the thought of priesthood is really frightening and he wants to run. He wants to run away. And priesthood seems very unattractive. Well, he's not in Christ. He's not rooted in his peace. He's not encountering him. And those thoughts, feelings, desires are not part of that encounter. They're going away from Christ. As long as he's in Christ, and it's still possible that he may be called to marriage, as Patrick was in his other example, but he uses Michael consistently throughout these lessons to see how the lessons unfold in one person, but then gives these other little lessons that allow us to, to savor the particular message of the lesson. And he does it again here. He offers another fellow by the name of Andrew. Mm-hmm. Andrew's a senior in college. He's been thinking about the priesthood for several years. But recently the thoughts have become much stronger and more long-lasting. So after Mass one day at the university, the Newman Center, the university, he told the priest, uh, the priest, he gives the name Father Andrew. By the way, all these names given in the booklet are protected. They're not the names of the actual persons, mm-hmm. although we could probably guess on some of them. Yes, Just, I think I could. <laughs> <laughs> they're, again, it's because they're so good and realistic. Sure. Father Andrew, he says, I need to know if I'm called to the priesthood, and so I need God to give me a sign. 
so I know what he wants of me. And Father Andrew responded by saying, No, you are wrong. You need God to give you faith to see the signs he is already giving you. You can see the echo of wanting to see from A to Z here. You can see the, the lack of trust in that question. You can see the, the demand uh, for Christ to do something uh, which he's already doing, but he isn't seeing. And so what a great response to be asking for faith. The priest is correct. God gives you signs, and they're not out there somewhere. They're not beyond us. God's signs can be found when you are in Christ, and that's important. When you are in Christ, when you are engaging in the sacraments, when you are praying, when you are growing in virtue and trying to grow in virtue, God's signs for you are your thoughts, feelings, and desires. This we can be assured of. The church offers this to every soul in parish life. As we come to a close to this particular segment, again, we're offered reflections Mm -hmm. to really ponder in our hearts like the Blessed Virgin, who was used as an example as well in in these sessions, to understand and come to know more deeply the will of God. Mm -hmm. And so we look closely at that spirit of fear and ask ourselves, what image of God the Father do we have? And how is it different from what Jesus teaches us about the Father? Do we believe he will give us good things? He has plans for our welfare, not for our woe. And so if we have fear, where does fear drive your relationship with the Father? Recall your latest experience of peace, stillness, clarity, and gratitude in God and believe that that is how the Father draws you. And so in that seventh lesson, in paying attention to our thoughts, feelings, and desires, when in Christ, discovering God's will, that way we can ask, in particular, Does the thought of priesthood come into your thoughts, feelings, and desires when you are experiencing the peaceful presence of God? And since this booklet can be translated because the lessons are universal for discernment, we could ask, does the thought of marriage come into your thoughts, feelings, and desires when you are experiencing the peaceful presence of God? Does the thought of becoming a missionary, does the thought of becoming a teacher, does our thoughts will reveal God's will for us when we are in Christ and consistently encountering Him, desiring what He desires, and trusting in His presence, keeping our eyes fixed upon Him. Let us pray. My Lord and my God, take from me everything that distances me from You. Take from me that spirit of fear My Lord and my God, give me everything that brings me closer to you. Give me your peace. My Lord and my God, detach me from myself to give my all to you. Lord Jesus, grant that we may trust you, focus upon you, and not be disturbed by these other voices that may compete against yours. Grant that we may trust our encounter with you and live in your presence forever. We ask your blessing 
the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Is Jesus Calling You? with Father Paul Hazing. This series is based on Is Jesus Calling You to Be a Catholic Priest? A Helpful Guide, published by the National Conference of Diocesan Vocation Directors. To hear and or download this episode, or to learn more about what you've heard, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for Is Jesus Calling You? with Father Paul Hazing.